Chapter Twenty Six of Memoirs of the Distinguished Men of Science of Great Britain, Living in the Years eighteen o seven to eight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Memoirs of the Distinguished Men of Science of Great Britain, Living in the Years eighteen o seven to eight, by William Walker, Jr. Chapter Twenty Six Edward Jenner, Medical Doctor, Doctor of Laws, Fellow of the Royal Society, Member of the Institute of France, born May seventeenth, seventeen forty nine, died January twenty sixth, eighteen twenty three. Edward Jenner, who by his discovery of vaccination has pre eminently acquired a right to the title of the benefactor of mankind was born at the vicarage house of Berkeley in Gloucestershire, and was the third son of the Reverend Stephen Jenner, rector of Rockhampton, and vicar of Berkeley. Jenner's father died when he was only five years old, leaving him to be brought up under the care of his uncle. At eight years of age he was put to school at Wooden under Edge, from whence he was removed shortly afterwards to the care of Dr. Washbourne at Sirencester, Jenner early displayed that taste for natural history which afterwards formed so marked a feature in his character. Before he was nine years old he had made a collection of the nests of the Dormouse, and when at Sirencester used to spend his hours of recreation in searching for the fossils which abound in that district. After the completion of his scholastic education, Jenner removed to Sudbury near Bristol, where he acquired the elements of surgery and pharmacy under Mr. Ludlow, an eminent surgeon in the neighbourhood. Having completed his term with this gentleman, he went to London and became a pupil of the celebrated John Hunter, in whose family he resided for two years, laying the foundation of an intimate friendship only broken by Hunter's death. Under the tuition of this distinguished anatomist, he acquired an almost unrivalled skill in minute dissections and delicate injections of parts, and when, in the year 1771, Captain Cook returned from his first voyage of discovery, the valuable specimens of natural history which had been collected by Sir Joseph Banks were in a great measure arranged and prepared by Jenner, who was recommended by Mr. Hunter for that purpose. In executing this task he evinced so much dexterity and intelligence that he was offered the post of naturalist in the next expedition, which sailed in 1772. Jenner, however, refused the offer, and determined to fix his abode at the place of his birth. He returned to Berkeley, when about twenty-four years old, and at once commenced practice as a country surgeon. His first attempts were very successful, and as he added to his professional skill the manners of a thorough gentleman and the information of a scholar, he became a welcome guest in the most distinguished families. He was in the habit at this time of cultivating the art of poetry, and used to send his compositions to his friends in the ordinary interchange of literary correspondence. He was likewise clever at an epigram or a ballad, and had a natural taste for music, being able to play on the flute and violin and sing his own verses with considerable taste and feeling. Such was the attachment of Jenner's friends to him at this period of his career, and so highly did they value his amusing and interesting conversation, that when he had called 
at their houses either as a visitor or in his professional capacity they would accompany him on leaving many miles on his way home and this too often at midnight in order that they might prolong the pleasure derived from his company and conversation although jenner's time was chiefly occupied with his professional duties he still kept up a constant and regular correspondence with his friend john hunter on different scientific subjects he managed also to find leisure to institute many experiments and observations in natural history one of the results of which was his account of the cuckoo a most carefully elaborated essay and which has always been considered as a model of accurate observation this paper was read to the royal society on the tenth of march seventeen eighty eight and printed in their transactions it explained the habits of this curious bird very satisfactorily and its publication at once secured the author a considerable reputation as a naturalist as this paper appears not to be very generally known the following account taken from it may be interesting Quote, the cuckoo furtively deposits her egg in the nest of another bird it is done not that her offspring may be a sharer of the care of the foster parent but that it may engross it entirely to the total destruction of its own natural offspring a perversion of all the maternal instincts is a most remarkable result of this vicarious incubation the hedge-sparrow or other birds whose nests have been visited by the cuckoo actually sometimes eject their own eggs to make room for the new guest but it occasionally happens that this is not done the eggs are not disturbed and the process of hatching is allowed to go on regularly and the young sparrows and the cuckoo emerge from the shell about the same time this event when it is permitted to happen does not at all improve the condition of the former on the contrary it only exposes them to greater sufferings the size of the egg of the cuckoo does not vary much from that of the bird in whose nest it is deposited when the young sparrow therefore and the intruder first come into life they are pretty much on an equality but unhappily for the foster brethren this equality does not last long the cuckoo's growth rapidly outstrips that of his companions and he immediately exercises his new powers with abundant selfishness and cruelty by a singular configuration of his own body he contrives to lodge his companions one by one upon his back and then scrambling up the sides of the nest he suddenly throws them from their seat and completely ejects them from their own home to become food for worms there is reason to believe that the unnatural parent is often an unmoved witness of this atrocity her whole care and affection are absorbed by the intruder and her own flesh and blood literally turned out to perish it sometimes though very rarely happens that two cuckoos eggs are deposited in the same nest when this occurs and they are both hatched together a bitter feud arises which is only terminated by the ejection of one or other from the nest End quote. all naturalists previous to jenner were inclined to ascribe the peculiarity in the economy of the cuckoo to its structure the largeness of the stomach which is only protected by a thin covering they asserted rendered the pressure attendant upon incubation incompatible with health this theory is incorrect and was adopted without due examination jenner observes quote, may they not be owing to the following circumstances namely the short residence this bird is allowed to make in this country 
where it is destined to propagate its species and the call that nature has upon it during that short residence to produce a numerous progeny the cuckoo's first appearance here is about the middle of april its egg is not ready for incubation till some weeks after its arrival a fortnight is taken up by the sitting bird in hatching the egg the young bird generally continues three weeks in the nest before it flies and the foster parents feed it more than five weeks after this period so that even if a cuckoo should be ready with an egg much sooner than the time pointed out not a single nestling would be fit to provide for itself before its parent could be instinctively directed to seek a new residence and be thus compelled to abandon its young for the old cuckoos take their final leave of this country the first week in july End quote. the domestic incidents of jenner's life during this period although important to himself and his future career were not otherwise remarkable having experienced a disappointment in his affections early in life he continued for many years unmarried ultimately however on the sixth of march seventeen eighty eight he was married to catherine kingscott a descendant of an ancient gloucestershire family in seventeen ninety three john hunter died and jenner was deeply affected by the loss of his esteemed friend many years previous to this sad event jenner's anxious and affectionate attention to the symptoms of the disease which as early as seventeen seventy seven had begun to attack hunter had enabled him to detect the true nature of his illness angina pectoris and the result of the examination after death fully established the correctness of jenner's views in seventeen ninety two having determined to give up the general practice of his profession and practice as a physician only jenner obtained the degree of doctor of medicine from st andrews and three years afterwards on finding that berkeley by itself could never support a physician commenced making professional visits to cheltenham a practice which he continued for many years we now come to the important epoch in the life of this eminent man on the fourteenth of may seventeen ninety six commemorated in berlin as an annual festival he made his first successful vaccination on a boy of the name of phipps eight years old and announced the event in a letter to a friend named gardiner in the following words quote, but listen to the most delightful part of my story the boy has since been inoculated for the smallpox which as i ventured to predict produced no effect i shall now pursue my experiment with redoubled ardour in the year seventeen ninety eight he made public the result of his continued observations and experiments published during this year his work entitled an inquiry into the causes and effects of the varioli vaccinae and henceforth the imperishable name of jenner was to be identified with vaccination although jenner announced his discovery thus late in life his attention had been drawn forcibly towards the subject when quite a youth while pursuing his professional education in the house of his master at sudbury during that time a young countrywoman having come to seek advice the subject of smallpox was mentioned in her presence she immediately observed i cannot take that for i have had the cowpox this incident riveted the attention of jenner and he resolved to let no opportunity escape of procuring knowledge upon so interesting a subject when in seventeen seventy he was prosecuting his studies in london he mentioned the matter to hunter who told him not to think but try 
and above all to be patient and accurate hunter however from the great number of original important pursuits which fully engrossed his attention was never so greatly impressed as jenner with the probable consequences of the successful elucidation of the subject of cowpox while other surgeons and scientific men to whom the subject was mentioned ridiculed the idea and even when jenner had drawn up his inquiry he was recommended not to send it to the royal society lest it should injure the scientific reputation which he had formerly acquired with that body by his paper on the natural history of the cuckoo undeterred by this want of sympathy jenner during the time of his practice at berkeley patiently continued his investigations as to the nature of cowpox and gradually struggling through the difficulties which he had to encounter on his way eliminated the following facts that there were certain people to whom it was impossible to give the smallpox by inoculation and that these had all had the cowpox but that there were also others who had had cowpox and who yet received smallpox this after much labour led him to the discovery that the cow was subject to a variety of eruptions of which one only had the power of guarding from smallpox and that is the true cowpox as he called it could at only one period of its course produce by inoculation such an influence upon the constitution as to render the individual safe from further contagion this was the basis upon which the fundamental rules for the practice of vaccination were founded the publication of his inquiry excited the greatest interest for the evidence in it seemed conclusive yet the practice of vaccination met with opposition as severe as it was unfair and its success seemed uncertain until a year had passed when upwards of seventy of the principal physicians and surgeons in london signed a declaration of their entire confidence in it an attempt was then made to deprive jenner of the merit of his discovery but it signally failed and scientific honours began to be bestowed on him from all quarters nothing could however induce jenner to leave his native village and all his correspondence shows that the purest benevolence rather than ambition had been the motive which actuated his labours in a letter to mr clive who instituted the first successful case of vaccination in london he says shall i who even in the morning of my life sought the lowly and sequestered paths of life the valley and not the mountain shall i now my evening is fast approaching hold myself up as an object for fortune and for fame admitting it as a certainty that i obtain both what stock should i add to my little fund of happiness and as for fame what is it a gilded butt for ever pierced with the arrows of malignancy on the continent jenner's claims on the gratitude of mankind were quickly recognised and the influence of his name and character was very great on one occasion during the war he addressed a letter to napoleon requesting permission for two men of science and literature to return to england and it is related that napoleon being about to reject the petition heard josephine utter the name of jenner on which the emperor paused for an instant and exclaimed jenner ah we can refuse nothing to that man he subsequently made other applications both to the french and other governments which were uniformly attended with similar success in fact his name became at length so potent and his influence so well known that persons left england with certificates signed by him 
which had all the force and value of real passports england however was more tardy in recognising the claims of this great man he once or twice applied to the british government on behalf of some french prisoners but unhappily without success nor was he permitted to share in the least degree in the patronage at the disposal of the government and all his attempts to obtain a living for one of his nephews failed although he applied where he was quite justified in thinking he would meet with attention and success on the occasion of the first parliamentary grant to jenner in the year eighteen o two the chancellor of the exchequer stated that he thought the approbation of the house was the highest reward that could be given him inasmuch as it would lead to an extended and very lucrative practice and although it was proven in evidence that forty thousand men were annually preserved to the state even at that time by dr jenner's discovery the proposition of a grant for ten thousand pounds was carried only by a majority of three jenner's feelings were deeply wounded by the manner in which this grant was made and he would gladly have repudiated the whole affair it remained unpaid for two years and when at length the money was paid to him it was so loaded with taxes and other expenses as to be of little pecuniary benefit happily however both for jenner and the credit of great britain the marquis of lansdowne then lord henry petty was a principal mover in his second parliamentary grant and through the able advocacy of this enlightened nobleman together with mr whitebread mr windham and mr edward morris and others a more fitting recompense of twenty thousand pounds free of all charges was awarded him in july eighteen o seven jenner had several attacks of severe illness during his life but he notwithstanding attained to a good old age till the last day of his life he was occupied in the most anxious labours to diffuse the advantages of his discovery both at home and abroad and he had the satisfaction of knowing that vaccination had even then shed its blessing over every civilised nation of the world prolonging life and preventing the ravages of one of the most terrible scourges to which the human race was ever subject he died suddenly from an attack of paralysis in july eighteen twenty three having attained the seventy-fifth year of his age shortly after jenner's death a statue was erected to his memory in gloucester cathedral chiefly through the exertions of his friend and biographer dr barron still more recently the statue in bronze by william calder marshall r a royal academy was erected in trafalgar square and afterwards removed to kensington gardens as a tribute from all nations to the memory of this distinguished philanthropist End of section twenty six